Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates, ready to go. OutKick 360 underway. Friday edition is here just like that. The weekend upon us. We're going to get you there quickly. With Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. And a cast of thousands here at 6th and Peabody. Already packed. The live music going on. We've got uh, a band on stage. I can hear Toby Keith playing right now. Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine getting it done. The show will as well. Frank Frangi, the voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars, also uh, host on 1010XL in Jacksonville, which is a blowtorch of a radio station there. He will be with us to talk AFC South headlines and SEC headlines. That's coming up in roughly 20 minutes from now. Jason McCourty, former Titans corner, 13-year NFL veteran. He has recently retired and recently uh, picked up a second career with Good Morning Football. He will be with us in hour number two, plus Brent Hubs and much, much more. Paul, what's up? I was tempted to say good morning. So yes, I don't know yes. if that's a good sign or a bad sign. I think a good sign because it feels sure. like it's earlier in the day. I think the week has had a nice pace to it. I'm not saying it flew by, but it didn't crawl. So I'm excited about getting to our last show, given a good three hours, and then moving into what for me is going to be a very hot weekend of baseball tryouts. It's really the last free weekend because uh, training camp now spills into weekends next Saturday, but not Sunday for the Titans. But uh, Hut, I, I have been eating well, as you know, for five for, weeks. For years. Oh, well, for no. weeks, sorry. For five weeks, working out and everything. I've been off caffeine during this. And I think today I might need caffeine. So I've got a caffeine packet here. Uh, I think there's some energy in the studio because sleepy, this is a drink. Uh, not, I, I'm not going to, it's not, oh. it's not like a <laughs> pixie, it's not there? like a pixie stick. <laughs> what do you, you, do you drink this? But I feel this? This oddly <laughs> that because sleepy Danny is in the studio, he brings some energy. I like him being here on Fridays. Really? <laughs> it's, a, it's an odd thing when a sleepy guy brings me energy. I'm not the sleepiest guy in the room. Yeah. Um, and I had him read the very, very, if I could get a one shot, this tiny, tiny print. Apparently I can't get a one shot. It is, uh, it's man, tiny, it looks, tiny It looks like print. a cheat sheat. Or, and I, I take that back. It does look like a cheat sheet. It looks like... No one shots today. Um, in the, um, in, there, there were some teachers that would allow you a note card sized... Um, yeah, for, for an exam. You could take you could yeah, for the one exam, sheet for the final, or one note card. Of all the course, the, the entire course, you could have one note card of anything you could fit on that yeah, note card. Yeah, people would write. And there, there could were, you bring a magnifying glass to read that there, card? There were people that had like so, like such great, small, fine handwriting that it was like hieroglyphics on you that You go thing. get the guy from the Santa Monica Pier who could write your, your family story on a grain of rice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you get him. So anyway, I, I've been looking for different forms of caffeine without sugar attached. Um, and I got a couple cans of something, and I got this. So we'll see how I'm doing, and I may drink this. And I, I don't know what effect the first caffeine uh, of, in five weeks will have on me, uh, if it'll simply 
uh, give me a boost or if I'll be uh, jumpy and jittery. What so happened, a science experiment. What happened to your old boost? What was it called? Well, uh, those were Airborne fizzes. They had no, less no, no. caffeine. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the spark. Pre- spark. There yeah. we go. Spark. I still have some in the house, but it's a lot of sugar. There's a oh, okay. lot of sugar in both of those, and I'm avoiding sugar. So uh, this has uh, no sugar, and so I'm looking forward to that. If if I try it today, or this just could be a confidence booster in my pocket, without having the caffeine, but knowing I have access to the caffeine. We'll just, see how it all works. You're caffeinated by we'll just being you near We'll keep you posted. We'll keep you posted. Yes. It's like me with, uh, with a Red Bull. I just see it and I get energized yeah, because know. I know I'm about to So the combination of it. having this and having Sleepy Danny in the room has already given me a boost. Um, so uh, here's the, the energy downfall. When I see today, <laughs> when I see today that some member of the media oh, this is has... They have voted Vanderbilt number one in the SEC East. And so they could tell all their buddies, you see this one in parentheses next to Vanderbilt? That's me. <laughs> they received one first place vote despite finishing seriously. higher. They, they haven't finished higher than fourth uh, one time. That was in 2008. Number one overall seed. Wait, look, wait, I say seed. They're predicted to be number one. The Georgia uh, Bulldogs by the media attending SEC Media Days this week. A couple 172 votes. votes. Yeah, a couple votes go in different directions here, but the Vandy vote is just, uh, it It makes sports writers look bad, and sports writers don't need help in this day and age looking bad. Also, so for get, how many... So you get seven points for a first place vote. So, like, Georgia received 1,254 points. That's how they tally this up. Second place was Kentucky... In a close, Edging. Uh, very, uh, a very close vote between Kentucky and Tennessee in terms of points. Total points, 932 to 929. That's what separated them, three points. However, Kentucky received four first, uh, second place votes, and uh, Tennessee um, did not receive as many first place votes, so they finished third. So I can't do the math here with the seven points and however many points you get for second, third, et cetera. Uh, but clearly, a lot of people vote. I would, I would guess everybody that's credentialed for this votes. Yeah, I think you're... Uh, Davey, did you vote in this? The, oh, okay. So how many people voted, did you think? It, they, in the release, it was up to 1,000. They said 1,000 credentialed media members. All right, so if 1,000 people are voting... I, 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 look, I didn't get the lay of the land for who's there. But uh, do you think some... Well, I mean, we know some people on Radio Row who I wouldn't say were... Uh, I would respect their vote. Right, and they're probably some low. Um, I, I well, don't want to insult everybody. There's some bloggers there that are really fan, oh, sure. fanboy yeah. bloggers, right? There, yeah, sure. So this and isn't the also, most legitimate I, I would also vote say there in are, the world. Uh, there are bloggers and sites there on behalf of specific teams, right? Who are who wearing are, gear? Who, but but who are very neutral in their line of like uh, Billy Lucci owns tax, Texags.com. right? But he's not. But he's very good at uh, overseeing the SEC yeah, discussion in general. So, so it goes there are different ways. levels of legitimacy yeah. for sure. But it's not the most reliable poll in the world. No, but if, if Kentucky guys who are wearing Kentucky but, gear are certainly voting Kentucky over Tennessee. But I think a lot of them. I, I think there are. It, it's no secret that it's it's a very close discussion if we're trying to figure out who is the second best team in the SEC East this year, and the the votes reflect that on how the media is discussing these teams: Kentucky, Tennessee, and Florida are right there neck and neck with each other. Overall Kentucky and, and Tennessee well ahead of Florida in that respect. 
followed by South Carolina, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. That's the SEC East. Again, Georgia, but, Kentucky, Tennessee, Florida, South Carolina, Missouri, Vanderbilt. They should take the Vanderbilt guys' vote away, though. If they know it, it may be – Secret you, ballot? I, it, I, it could be. I've never voted in this while I've been there. Um, in the years past, I'm so that's I, a shame. I never, if you were there, you should. I never received have a the information, or I didn't know how to obtain it uh, properly. West uh, Alabama, uh, overwhelming. Now, here's where it gets interesting because just like the East, the West, you could argue, has three teams that you could consider, or I would consider for discussion for the second place vote in my poll. Texas A&M gets the nod behind Alabama, followed by Arkansas and Ole Miss. The media didn't see it nearly as close, however, between A&M and Alabama. A&M gets the nod behind Bama, followed by Arkansas Ole Miss, LSU, Mississippi State, and Auburn rounding out the field. I think Mississippi State can be the surprise team of the West, given their offense, given the return at quarterback, and the fact that they should be um, with Leach to a point now where that offense should be a machine. Leave like, that, if, put, we're, if we're being honest with where they are at the third-year quarterback spot. Put that up big again for a second, if you will. The gap between Mississippi State and Auburn at the bottom, not that big. Mississippi State, 390. Auburn, 338. 38, thank you for help with my eyes. And, and uh, LSU, not you know, with that much space in either direction, 591 behind Old Miss at 675. So uh, pretty, you know, they're kind of in their own department there, LSU. Um, Old Miss, we've talked about a lot this week, really based on schedule as much as it's based on talent. I think you'd agree A&M and Arkansas, better talent. But yes. uh, Ole Miss, much more favorable schedule. Much, yes, absolutely. And uh, keep this in mind as we look at these votes. Alabama with 177 first-place votes. They win the most going away uh, more, than, more than Georgia. And we'll get to that head-to-head matchup in a second. A&M received three first-place votes. And Arkansas received one first-place vote. I'm not singling him out on purpose because I think he voted for Arkansas. But I do want to bring up that Tony Barnhart mentioned – if there is a dark horse candidate to play in Atlanta for the SEC championship, not Alabama or Georgia, he went with Arkansas. That's not outrageous. I mean, I like somebody looking for a, for an upset candidate. Replacing Traylon Burks is a, is a big deal there. They've got to get – it's funny because they're missing Traylon Burks in a big way. And here in Nashville, the huge <laughs> same, doubts about what thing. Traylon Burks can do for the Titans as they look to replace uh, A.J. Brown. So, uh, you know, different levels, different uh, expectations. But Arkansas's receivers are a big question. Another thing about Ole Miss on there, you know, we don't think they're as, as talented as the two teams in front of them for two and three. But we don't know. You know, uh, and, and Greg, uh, uh, Glenn Gilbo is saying, you know, his big thing on Transfer Portal is we have no idea how good these guys are, and he tends to downgrade them because you're not leaving if you're good. And that's one of the things we looked at on the, attached to my column is uh, yesterday about wondering about chemistry on, on teams with a lot of transfers. If you look at those transfer ratings, none of them are five stars that are, uh, that are leaving. You know, the best guys that are leaving are four stars, and it's more three stars. If you're really good, <laughs> you don't have a reason to leave. Yeah, you're playing, or you're going pro early. And That's you're, why you're, you're leaving. You're perfectly happy That's why you're because leaving. coaches do bending, bending to you. So the, the, the one thing that they do ask you, so you, you, you pick the divisions and then you pick your SEC champion. 
So the vast majority picked Alabama and Georgia, and rightfully so. What was the split? Number one. Uh, overwhelmingly, the media selects Alabama as the SEC champion over Georgia. The total points there, uh, votes for championship of the SEC. Alabama received 158 votes for the SEC championship prediction. Georgia received 18. 158 to 18. Part of that is Georgia replacing all of those starters that went to the pros, not just in the first round, but in the NFL draft overall. And uh, they have more than just one side of the football represented by Georgia in this rookie class uh, drafted this past spring. So that's part of it. The other part is Alabama's defense was not at the level that we have seen Alabama's defense at in recent years last year. And many say that that is at a different level now, um, a year removed from where they were. Uh, They were hit hard at wide receiver by players going to the NFL and the transfer portal uh, at Alabama. Uh, But they have Burton, Harrell, Gibbs. They are all likely to be major contributors for the offense in the Crimson Tide, and they're all transfers. And they also have the returning Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback, along with Will Anderson, you could argue is the best overall college football player in the game. So because of that, Alabama overwhelmingly this week in Atlanta getting the nod as the SEC champion. Think people, too, automatically expect to bounce back from, from Nick Saban, right? See, that, that, that's the automatic that's boomerang why, effect. That's why it's so difficult to be Alabama. Like, I, I realize what I just said. Yeah, like expectations it's, it's not are outrageous. It's hard to be Alabama outrageous. when you win every year. But a bounce-back year for Alabama is <laughs> it's coming off a year where they won the SEC, SEC. championship yeah. and then won a playoff game to face Georgia – one of the best defenses in the history of the sport. With injured receivers. <laughs> yes. And and lost the game uh, in what was a tight game for three and a half quarters. And lost the game. And now they need a bounce back by winning a title they this year. They welcome that standard. I, I know. I know. And, right. and that's, All the great that's, teams, organizations, That's what makes it so impressive. Welcome. Yeah, a bounce back year. It was like whenever the Patriots were in there. Right. In their run, a bounce back year for them. Is Patriots to win the had to bounce Bowl. back from going sixteen and zero and on a playoff yes, run and losing yes. to the Giants <laughs> in one of the greatest Super Bowls ever, and they needed to bounce back from that. But you know, bounce back year, and you're not wrong. I mean, that, that expectations. Like going back to our conversation earlier this week, um, where we were we were talking with uh, the next round live guys. We we said, hey, you brought up the question, like what's what's the legacy look like for Bryce Young? And while you can say he's the most talented quarterback Saban has coached, and there's been a long line of them who've gone pro now, for Bryce Young to be considered the greatest of that group, he's got to win a title. It's not just about the Heisman. He's the first quarterback in the history of the program to win Which a Heisman. crazy in itself. And he could win two Heismans, and if he doesn't have a national championship, that, that, he won't be regarded as will, the best quarterback. They will judge him against others who have won multiple or have been there and, and won one before turning pro. And there's Bryce Young, the most talented, but in regard to where he is in the hierarchy, he's got to win a title. That's the standard, going back to your overall point. Uh, and then, you know, the standard of one voter was Vanderbilt's winning the East, which is, you know, maybe they're friends with What are with the Clark. odds on Vanderbilt winning the East? They're not friends. With, I was going to say maybe they're friends with Clark Lee. That's not the case because Clark Lee is a realist. He didn't say they're the best college uh, program right now. He said they want down to be the a road, dominant program. Down the road. He's not saying that right now, so... Yeah, Vanderbilt 2-10 last year, 0-8 in the SEC last year. They've lost 21 straight. 
conference games, but Vanderbilt's winning the SEC East. I don't like the joke factor of it. No, it, it's it, not funny. It don't make a mockery. I, that's my of it. number one rule of comedy: is be funny, and that's not funny. Because you know, for the emphasis we'll put on Alabama winning overwhelmingly the vote for the champion over the media's opinion of Georgia. You know, the, we also had someone vote for Vandy. I have no idea how that guy voted for SEC champion, for that matter. Look, and that's one of the things. Look, I, I, I think oh, he, he voted Vandy. That person voted Vandy as the champ. It, there you go. Yeah, it would be a long shot, I think, right, for it not to be Alabama Georgia for the SEC title yeah. again. And that's one of the things I don't like. Look, I understand all the appreciation for the SEC, all the talent in the SEC. I understand that you know. Um, a battle for two in the East between Tennessee and Kentucky is intriguing, and that's the equivalent of an NFL battle for for playoff bids and and positioning, um, and that's a big deal. But I don't like seasons that are predestined and very likely to come out to the same thing. And so this SEC season could be, in many ways a prescripted bore in terms of no doubt about who's going well, to Atlanta. Yeah, but we had no doubt throughout the outkick, the tailgate season at where I said that both teams are going to be un, unbeaten when they got to Atlanta. That was not the case. Um, but you know, think about Alabama, Alabama, for instance, last year, while we would have predicted Alabama to win the SEC, they nearly were upset in what was a game of the year candidate that we don't reference anymore by Florida. Yeah. Um, they were upset in what was an awesome game by A&M. Which you were fortunate enough to And be then at. Auburn nearly beat them. They had them 10 nothing in the fourth quarter, and then it went to three overtimes before Alabama won the game. So and they Bryce did Young have three, three interesting games. How many interesting games did Georgia have? Uh, Georgia, Georgia was had just a steamroller of a yeah, season. But, but Georgia's, we haven't seen Georgia at that level before. They, right. they had an all-time great defense. You could put up there, like – I will forever look at that group and think, man, look at the first round picks on these on, on the field for the championship game, the SEC championship game. Crazy. We, we will look back on that in four years and start pinpointing. So still, to, to my point, you're talking out of the, the entire schedule I mean, of the two schools. There were three yeah. interesting games. Well, uh, three interesting games I, that I are massive. Uh, they the, were great games. The, the Georgia-Tennessee game was pretty good. Um, and Tennessee's offense gave scored more points on them. That's how good their defense was. Uh, but Alabama was not at the peak Alabama no, until, they were peak power. until right around SEC championship time because they were getting uh, a 15-yard penalty here, late hit there. They have a false start and then do it back-to-back plays. Things we didn't see very much of from Alabama on a consistent basis. Every team has penalties. I'm not trying to say they don't commit them. But we, don't, we didn't see it at the rate of the mental errors. We, we saw it a bit last year. Uh, delay of game things. Um, turnovers inopportune, at inopportune times. I only bring it up because I, I thought they really turned it on towards the back end of the season in a more consistent manner. And throughout the season, there were, there were eggs laid where they could have easily you know, lost two or three games based on how the ball bounced. We've talked about this, though, and I think it's best for the league. I mean, dynasties are good and all-time great programs are good. But as this league expands and college football evolves, I think it'd be best for the league if there were more consistent chances at uh, something closer to parity. Where, well, where on, on any given Saturday, so to speak, 
there was a better chance that the mighty teams fall. Not well, that not that the bottom team, not that Vanderbilt's gonna gonna challenge one of those teams, but that you could more likely see Mississippi State um, have a have a chance against one of those teams. It'd be interesting in the fourth quarter, which is my general beef with with college football. Is there's not enough of that nationwide. Well, on a Saturday. Well, just by looking at final score, you wouldn't know that Alabama-Tennessee was a fourth-quarter game, and it was. Yeah, but um, that's more of an exception than the rule. Well, I mean, I, I'm giving you four examples of fourth-quarter games by Alabama uh, who played for the national championship last year. Um, now, Georgia won it, but it's not – again, like, I under, it is top-heavy. We, we know that Alabama and Georgia should be there. Um, but, you know, a month or so ago I brought up on the show, like – I think for if you're rooting for Alabama to come back to earth or Georgia to come back down a bit, I don't think they're going anywhere. No, you got to go get them. You've Kirby Smart have, went and got them. Yeah. Now let's see more Kirby Smarts. We've yeah. talked about you, that you time and have, time again. You, How do you do that? You've got to be rooting for Tennessee to, to get back to what Tennessee's been talking about. And Florida. You've got to get Florida back on track. Um, you know, you look around and Kentucky is there, and I asked Mark Stoops about it this week, like, you have either caught or surpassed everyone in the SEC East, except for Georgia. And for about a half, they went toe-to-toe with them. But it really wasn't that close in the second half. And, and there's a big separation there. So how do you catch Georgia? They've got to continue to elevate. So um, Texas, a great Those example, are that a great are example by Texas A&M. Texas A&M plays plays well against uh, Alabama and they have the injury at quarterback and Calzada plays the game of his life. Um, so, you know, when you're, when you're going, you're going with Haynes King and you end up with Zach Calzada, there's room for excuse making there. Um, I, I get it, but they played so well against Bama to have the game that they had against Mississippi state. Th- those matchups can't happen if you're going to, play for SEC Right, titles. when you do the Bama thing, that's your new standard. Yeah, and, and that's the standard at A&M. I mean, they have been consistent over the last decade or so if you look at their win-loss record, but the next level is now Jimbo Fisher taking all of this, you know, 14 five-stars or whatever it is, and turning that into... Be Kirby Smart. Turning that into matchups in Atlanta on the first weekend of December, right? Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. One of those teams we're discussing, Florida Gators... Our next guest will uh, certainly help us further the discussion on Florida. New coach, expectations are low. We just went through that. Coming up, Frank Frangie will join us. We'll talk Florida Gators expectations, but also we'll discuss the Jacksonville Jaguars where he is the play-by-play voice for everything uh, involving the Jaguars. And we'll ask about the Trevor Lawrence development. That's next on Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. 
Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. With Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton, joined by the afternoon drive time host in Jacksonville on 1010XL, Frank Frangie, he's also the voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Frank, great to have you back on the show, man. Hope you're well. Jonathan, I'm doing well. Thanks for you. I appreciate you and Paul having me on here. Kind of crazy here at these uh, SEC media days, but I'm happy to be with you. Hey, I'm curious to get your perspective there uh, from the Jacksonville area. Of course, you're, you're covering a lot of Gators football. Where do you think the majority, and it may be 51%, of the media will, will vote Florida this year in the SEC East in the preseason? Because I think it could be all over the board. Yeah, Jonathan, I think you're dead on. We talked about that even on our show. I'm going to vote Tennessee second. I think Tennessee's pretty good. I think what Josh Heupel's doing is 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 stuff that other people don't know how to defend yet because they're not doing it. So 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 my guess would be uh, I'll I'll vote Tennessee second. I think you're right. I think some people are going to vote Florida second because they're Florida. I think uh, other people realize that there's some deficiencies. Uh, I think anywhere between. I don't think they're going to be second. Some people have Kentucky there. Some will have Tennessee there. I'd say third or fourth. If you ask me to guess, I'd probably say at the end of the day, they'll be third, just because some people say it's Florida, we'll vote them third. But I think somewhere uh, around there. It's amazing. We, we discussed this a bit yesterday, too. That two years ago, uh, Florida is in the SEC championship game. Um, last year, they, you could argue early in the season, they had the game of the year against Alabama. Where, where did the Dan Mullen train go off the tracks? Boy, that is a great question, Jonathan. It uh, He never recruited well, so it was going to go off the tracks at some point. All those guys that were so good in that game, Kyle Trask among them, he didn't bring them to Florida now. He didn't recruit much of that team. Uh, he played a lot of transfers. Uh, he was a portal guy before the portal, really. And so you knew at some point it was going to go bad, but not that quickly. I don't think anybody thought it would happen that quickly. He played Emory Jones, a quarterback that was just okay. Uh, he did not want to play Anthony Richardson for whatever reason. Uh, Anthony, <clears throat> excuse me, Emory Jones struggled. He was a struggling quarterback through a lot of interceptions. It was a weird deal, Jonathan. He was a guy that was pretty good in practice. Uh, he hit the open guy, great kid, waited his turn behind Kyle Trask. But when the lights came on and when it was real and defenses started changing, he was the slow processor. He was a tick late on almost every decision. And that cost him. I think he led the league in, or maybe even led the nation in interceptions. And and Dan wouldn't get away from him. And then I think Dan got upset, and the fans got upset, and and Dan got a little bit stubborn. Damian Pierce, who's a terrific running back, I'm going to see him twice a year with the Texans, uh, didn't play very much. And then I think it all snowballed. So we've seen it happen before, coaches who don't recruit very well. But goodness, you don't see it happen that quickly very often, I'll tell you that. How do you carve up now with his successor, Billy Napier, what he's done or not done recruiting-wise and what you expect him to do X's and O's wise and, and with with his hands on guys? Paul, I think the question one is recruiting. It's going to take a while. Uh, they're, they're, it's not a great roster. 
But that's what they did. Look, everyone's hiring a guy from the Saban Corporation, right? Uh, that's what Kirby Smart was. Heck, that's what Jeremy Pruitt and Butch Jones were, and they didn't work out, or Will Muschamp. Everybody wants somebody from the Saban Corporation that builds these gigantic staffs and has all these people and has this beautiful new facility. And I think he's on schedule. Uh, you know how all the kids now, they'll put on social their their, their top 10 picks and the, the logos mm-hmm. will all go up. Well, Florida wasn't making – Florida's logo wasn't making many of those – Twitter feeds or Twitter uh, posts very often. Oh, they're starting to make that now. The second thing is getting visits. They're starting to get the visits now from the fours and five stars that they weren't getting before. Now, the final part of that process is you got to get them on campus and you got to sign them. And that hasn't happened yet. But I think they're on schedule in terms of they're back in the mix now with the with the top players. Slowly but surely, they'll start getting them. The second part is your second question. You got to prove you can coach them too, because if you can't coach them, they're not going to go there. So uh, I don't know what kind of I've, I've never watched Billy Napier teams like everybody. When he got the job last year, we started watching Louisiana as best we could. They're like everybody else. They'll be a spread team. He likes to run the football, but it's hard to get a good gauge of what they'll be from an X's and O standpoint until you see them. What sold you on the balls at number two behind Georgia? I, I thought, and I've told a lot of people this story, Jonathan. When Steve Spurrier got to Florida in the early '90s, he was doing stuff other people weren't doing. He was doing stuff on offense that nobody else was doing, and that's why they couldn't stop it is he brought something to the league that nobody was doing. Now, eventually they caught up. It took a while. <clears throat> I think Josh Heupel is doing things nobody else is doing. They play so fast. You know how it works. They play fast. The play's over. They jump up. They hand the ball to the official, and they go play again. They don't substitute. They go, go, go. At some point, people are going to learn how to defend that. It's not just seeing and saying, okay, they're doing this. We'll do this. you got to learn how. you got to practice it. I think Josh is doing stuff that other people in the league aren't doing, and it takes a while to catch up, just like it did with Spurrier. Now, Spurrier had good players. I'm not sure Tennessee's got great defensive players yet. I like some of their skill. Uh, I love Hendon Hooker. I think Hendon Hooker's a terrific player, and I think he fits what Josh is trying to do from a scheme standpoint, also from an intellectual standpoint. He he gets them lined up quick. They play fast. So I think the way they, in my mind, the way they play offensively, is so different than how anybody else plays. It's going to make it hard. Can I beat? Can they beat Alabama and Georgia? Probably not. Uh, I think they're going to beat Florida. They've only been, I mean, Florida's beaten them seventeen out of eighteen now. But I think they're going to beat Florida this year. So I think they're on schedule as well. Frank Frangi, our guest, he's in Atlanta at SEC Media Days, uh, covering that. Plus, uh, he's the voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And we transition there, Frank, with Trevor Lawrence. We, we know across the league what year one to year two means for any player. Uh, but especially quarterback, and now he's paired with Doug Peterson. Where where have you seen his progress, and what do you think of the pairing between Peterson and Trevor Lawrence? Because they really wanted Byron Leftwich, by all accounts. Yeah, well, I don't think they really did. I that that was really that was all over. That was all over Twitter. I think they talked to Byron. I don't think he was ever getting an offer. And I like Byron. I liked him when he was a player in Jacksonville. I don't think they were ever going to hire Byron Leftwich. I, I don't think. I don't believe that Byron was going to come, but he didn't want the GM. I don't think Shad was ever, that's my opinion, was ever yeah. sold on Byron as people thought. They interviewed him, and he's going to be, and Byron's going to be a good head coach one day. He's a smart football guy. But I don't think the Jags were ever headed there. The first person they interviewed was Peterson, and at the end of the day, I think they were always coming back to him. Uh, having said that, I think it will be great for Trevor. Listen, this thing was so dysfunctional last year, Jonathan. It was a mess, man. It was it was as bad as I've ever been. I've been in this business 40, 42 years. Been on the radio side 34 years. It'd be my ninth year calling Jags games. Been around it a lot. I've never seen anything like last year. Someone is disconnected, and I'm not trying to pile on. Urban's gone, and, and, and it is what it is. But as disconnected as he was, as dysfunctional as that whole thing was, Trevor didn't have a chance. So quarterbacks always take that leap year one to year two, like you talked about. 
But I think it'll be even a bigger leap because I think he's got a guy now that can really coach him, a guy with whom he'll really connect, and the dysfunction is gone. Doug's a normal guy. They needed normal in that job. And I think they got normal now. So, yeah, look, the Jags won three games last year. They're not going from three wins to 13. But can they get to six? Yeah, I think so. I, I think there will be progress. I'd be surprised if there's not. Is it good that they they target a receiver that they want in Christian Kirk and go out and do what it takes to get him? Or is it bad that they uh, overpay him to the degree that the, the league considers him to be overpaid? Now, I love it. Paul, I love Christian Kirk. He's a good guy. He's a good player. People think he's just a slot guy. I think he can play all three spots. I think it's a great signing. I don't. I, who cares how much they pay him? Not my money. I, I'm, I'm, I love. <laughs> I, lo- I love the fact that he's here, and they needed a guy that can be a number one guy. And I think Christian Kirk can be a number one guy. Zay Jones will help. Uh, Marvin Jones will still start. The problem was, and Paul, you know, you see, you see this division all the time. You have forever. Um, there were no weapons, man. This team is. They thought Lavisca Chenault was going to be something. He didn't turn out to be. DJ Chark is gone. He was hurt a lot. They just haven't had any weapons. And and so finally, uh, they're, they're starting to get some weapons. If Evan Ingram, the tight end, can stay on the field, he's a pretty good player. Christian Kirk, I think star value is coming, man. The guy's caught like 500 passes between college and, and, and pros, and he's 25 years old. So I love the Christian Kirk signing. They need more. They need more weapons next time in, in the next player procurement phase, including free agency and draft a, a year from now. I think they need more, but I think Christian Kirk's a great step in the right direction. How about Travis Etienne, who got to miss all of that craziness last year, at least uh, on, on the Sunday parts? Um, what, do you, what do you expect from him in the backfield mix there? Paul, he looks great. He looks, remember at Clemson, he was fast, but he looked kind of thin. Remember, he looked kind of angular. He's thick. He, he's, I'll bet he's 230, 235 pounds now. He looks way bigger to me than he did when he got to Jacksonville. I think he's a good player. Now, James Robinson returns. They both, they're both coming off injuries, by the way. Uh, one, the Liz Frank, one, the Achilles. So you never know when a running back comes back on a leg injury or a foot injury. So we'll see what that means. But, but that's a, I'm okay with that combination. My guess is Travis Etienne ultimately is a starter. I don't think he's just a third down back. But James Robinson's a pretty good player to have as your other back. So, But Travis, to your question, looks really good. Again, who knows until they play. But he looks like he's in great shape. I can tell you that. How about the number one overall pick? Uh, this time last year at SEC Media Days, we were not yeah. talking about Trayvon Walker right. at Georgia. He ends up going number one overall. Um, yeah. as, as they've made that selection and now he ends up in Jacksonville, what's the buzz around the number one pick that no one talks about? Curiosity, Jonathan. Curiosity. He's, uh, man, he is big and pretty now. He is six foot five, 275, lean, angular, athletic, long. Great kid, military family. I mean, he checks every box except the one everyone's asking about. Not a lot of productivity is at the college level. Is that because Georgia had other guys doing stuff? Is it because he's not going to be productive? Nobody knows that. I like him. I, I'd, I'd be lying if I told you I've got I, I have a confident expectation of what he'll be because I don't know. They are playing him an outside linebacker. That's a big outside linebacker. That's like Bradley Chubb, a 275-pound backer. I thought he was more of a five technique, more of a big end in a four three, but they're a true three four. It looks like from what we've seen, uh, it's a new staff, obviously, but it looks like it's a three four, and he's a stand up guy. Look, he's going to be. I don't think they will fail with Trayvon Walker. I I don't. I don't think he will be a bust. The question is, can he be that thirteen, fourteen, fifteen sack guy that you want if you take him first overall, or is he going to be a guy that's that, that's a good player, not a great player? That I think is the question. And nobody knows till he plays. They really don't. 
Frank Frangie has been our guest on real, Outkick 360. Real quick, from from an AFC South perspective, uh, outside of the, the the top tier, wondering what you think of Titans Colts hmm. in terms of the moves that have been made on both of those fronts. Uh, who who do you like at the top? Paul, here's what I think. Derrick Henry's from Jacksonville, and we want him back. Okay, that's that's what I think. Okay, but yeah, I good luck him, with that. I will want him back. Okay, that's what I think. Uh, I think the Titans are the team to beat. I'm intrigued with Matt Ryan in Indianapolis because that's the one thing they've missed. That's a that's a bizarre circumstance, you know. If you think about, it, they just keep. They've had a, ever since Andrew Luck. They've been searching for quarterbacks and a lot of one year guys. And Philip Rivers was good, but he was a one year guy. I never thought Carson Wentz was going to work there. I, I thought that dysfunction in Philadelphia was real, so that did not surprise me. I'm intrigued with what Matt Ryan does. I think they have a good team, probably the best offensive line in the league. But I think the thing goes through Nashville, and I'm not saying it just because I'm on with you guys. I, I've said that on my radio show. I've said that on game broadcast. I think that division goes through Nashville. Two years ago, they were really close. Um, I don't know what to think of Ryan Tannehill. You probably have a way better feel, Paul, for that than I do. But I think they're tough. I think there's a physicality. They improved defensively. I think Derek's the best running back in the league. Uh, I, I really, I think the Titans are the team to beat. I think the Colts will be good, and I'm intrigued with Matt Ryan on a well-coached, good overall team, adding him. But I think the Titans are the team to beat. And again, I'm not saying that because I'm on with you guys. That's that's what I really think. You've got you've got quite the preseason slate for the Jags. Um, I, you know, no one, none of us like the preseason. Let's be honest right. here. Uh, right. Right. But I mean, you you get the Hall of Fame game, so Boselli will be honored. That'll be cool. Yeah, then you go to Cleveland, and there's plenty there. And Pittsburgh is also on the preseason schedule where you'll see a lot of rookie quarterback play. So, I mean, at least you have some storylines to get you through those four quarters. Yeah, Cleveland actually comes to Jacksonville, but that's right. We go to okay. Canton, we go to Canton, then Cleveland and Pittsburgh. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. When they went to three preseason games, I don't know how you guys feel about this, I'm still not sure how they were going to do it. In the old days with the four games, nobody played in the first game. You played a little bit in the second game. <laughs> The third game they used, and then they've been, and then nobody played in the fourth game. Have you noticed that with three games, teams are doing it differently? Some teams are treating the second game like the third game. Some aren't. So it's so it's an interesting off. It'll be an interesting preseason. Yeah, our guys need reps, man. I mean, even Trevor needs some reps. There's a, there's still a lot of new guys, and there's a lot of new chemistry, even if it, the guys aren't all that new. So yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know what to make of Cleveland. I I, I guess Deshaun Watson at some point is going to be their quarterback. But I don't know what to make of them. Pittsburgh's got to play a new quarterback, and that'll be an important game for them because that'll be their that'll be what game two, I guess, for them. So let's see how they treat yeah. that. But it'll be it'll be a fun preseason for sure. Frank Frangie, always great, great today yet again. Appreciate you, man, and uh, best of luck as you get things cranked up there in training camp. Thanks, okay, fellas. Thanks for having me. Take care, guys. Yeah, there's Frank Frangie of Ten Ten XL, and also the play by play voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, always appreciate him giving us the time. Uh, to chat uh, all things Jags and more. Plenty of SEC discussion still to come. But the storyline there with Trevor Lawrence, if they're going to cash in on the number one overall pick, if he's Andrew Luck, this is a year where he takes a big step forward, Paul. Yeah, and uh, I mean, he we've talked about this. He basically got a first-year pass because of the bad situation he was and in. And I think he deserved it. Yeah, but you would have expected, I think, even in a bad situation, more flashes of of you know, just outside of the framework of all of the garbage and everything, where are the great, like, wow, look at Trevor yeah. Lawrence doing his thing. And we You're didn't right. see those things. So I, I think the expectations are, are, are big on him. He should be the most talented quarterback in the division. Yes. 
So let's see. Yes. I, I, I mean, they have gone back-to-back years now where we have not talked about the Jags' top pick. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's really hard to do that, yeah. and, and really hard to do with Trevor Lawrence. And I say we didn't talk about him because, again, he was a non-factor based on the way things ended up there, and now a huge year and at I number two. And I think we can very easily not talk about this year's number one pick this oh, year. Oh, easily. easily. <laughs> very easily. Yeah. But unless, we should be talking about last year's number one pick. Unless they're the smartest people in the room. Yeah. And they and found... what are the odds of that? Well... With Trent yeah, Baalke right. involved. <laughs> you're right. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360 and stay tuned. We will head back down to Atlanta for SEC Media Days next on Outkick360. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Coming up in 10 minutes, Auburn tight end John Samuel Shanker uh, the, broke the school record for receptions at Auburn last year. He will be with us to begin hour number two. Jason McCourty, former Titans corner, recently retired cornerback after 13 NFL seasons, a Super Bowl with the Patriots. He will join us. Uh, that is coming up in 25 minutes from now. And we also have Brent Hubbs on today's show in about an hour or so. And I bring up Hubbs from VolQuest because there is news on the Hill the day after SEC media days. I don't find any coincidence with this whatsoever. Um, you, want, you want an example of a Friday news dump, here it is. Um, Adam Sparks from the Tennessean, uh, Knoxville News Sentinel, um, says that Tennessee received a notice of allegations detailing 18 NCAA violations and $60,000 of cash and gifts given to football recruits and players by Jeremy Pruitt, his wife, numerous coaches, staff, and a booster. Um, This is stemming from the entire investigation that has gone on way too long from the NCAA. And now we're finally seeing the notice of allegations come forward on Pruitt and the university. I will say it's a 52-page document, which is why I'm previewing our visit with Brent, (laughs) because I'm going to rely on him to read through this during our show. But the NCAA, in response to the way Tennessee handled the investigation. Paul, this is the key. The actions taken by the institution during the investigation should be the standard for any institutional inquiries into potential violations. So, you know, last year at this time, we had hubs on and we were asking like, how much, when will they reach a million dollars in trying to figure out this investigation? And I think there were up around 750,000 around this time last year and they have reached, they surpassed the million dollar mark on how much they, they spent on this. Uh, point being, nothing's going to happen from the Tennessee perspective based on just this notice of allegations because of that statement from the NCAA. Just makes me circle back to what a dumb hire <laughs> yeah. this was. A guy who was doing shady stuff and couldn't coach. Well, he had never been a head coach except for the high school level when they hired him. Dumb. Yeah. That's on Phil Fulmer. Also, also, um, sixty grand. That's it. Think about the money we've been discussing in NIL. I mean, we, sixty grand doesn't even make a headline for NIL. Right. 
And for that to be the notice of allegations, I'm surprised. I was expecting more, quite frankly, given the fact that we hear hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, not just with Tennessee, but across the, uh, across the, the, the country in regards to recruiting right now. But a number's a number, and he's oh, I know. Yeah. giving out stuff I, he can't give out. I agree. It, it, I, he's so dumb at it that he's doing only $60,000. Right. Yeah. If and you're going to do it, do it. <laughs> go big, right? right? Go big or go home. Um, so uh, Bruce Feldman retweets and says, hefty charges by the NCAA against Tennessee, saying Jeremy Pruitt and his staff gave players cash and gifts throughout his tenure, starting in 2018. Um, and then Feldman goes a bit deeper because he's reading through this report. His wife, Casey, paid more than 15000 in rent and car payments for a Tennessee player and his mother over two and a half years. Uh, so we'll have Brent Hubs from VolQuest on. You can read the full uh, recap of the 52-page report right now at outkick.com through Trey Wallace, uh, who has that story at Outkick um, for you. Paul, I, I thought of you last night because I saw the headline at OutKick about a report or a, a, a conversation. A, a report may be a bit strong. A conversation they were having about uh, Shohei Otani and the, the possibility he could be traded at the deadline. The override August 2nd. So, uh, August 2nd's the deadline. Yeah. Uh, two weeks. Uh, Two weeks from Tuesday. The Braves, week are, from Tuesday. the Braves are mentioned as the landing spot in this discussion, but uh, Gary Sheffield Jr. had the had the story, and he said he's like it makes more sense if you're the Angels to trade him in the offseason than it does right now, uh, because, and I, I agree with him. If you think of trade deadline deals, would there be a bigger trade? in the history of the trade deadline than this guy? Well, I mean, it's hard for anything to be bigger than him because he's a two-way player. So he's going to come in and help you, uh, help your staff and help your, your lineup. But think about brand. Like, get him, off that, get him off that lineup. That's where I'm going with this. Get him out of there. Get him somewhere to the east or to the Dodgers. It's got to be Dod – and the Dodgers were mentioned because the All-Star game and he had made some comments. But the, the East Coast, too, and this guy is a megastar. He should be already – um, we certainly know he is in Japan. Get him on the, on the East Coast and push this guy to the moon. Part of it is, uh, you know, and he answered the question very delicately and said, you know, all it takes is one of the right kind of wins to turn us around and get us going. He chose the Angels on purpose because it's low profile. So is he willing right. to take on high profile? Man? The Dodgers were, were interested, I believe, right? I think everybody was interested. How everybody should have be? been interested. How could you not be? Yeah, you're right. Uh, the SEC word count. Who said the most at the podium this past week? We'll tell you that. Plus, we'll talk with an Auburn tight end next. <laughs> 